In June of 1996, the Holy Father stated to a group of American bishops, quote, at a time when the very definitions of marriage and family are endangered by attempts to legislate alternative and distorted notions of these basic human communities, you must clearly preach the truth of God's original design. Close quote, Pope John Paul II. When the very definitions of marriage and family are endangered by alternative and distorted notions, you must clearly preach the truth of God's original design. Now, given that and current events, it's worth a brief review. When we looked at marriage, we started by considering that amazing fact that God could have continued making men just like he did the first one from scratch, just taking some slime and breathing into that slime the breath of life. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, God decided to share some of his creative power, and so he blessed man and woman and made them the joint guardians of this incredible holy power, the power of cooperating with him in bringing forth new immortal beings, babies. And precisely because this power, the power of bringing forth little babies, immortal beings, precisely because this power is so incredible and so important and so holy, God wrapped up that creative power with purity and modesty. And then he commanded it only be used inside the boundaries of a very special and blessed state of life. A state so blessed that in the case of a baptized man and woman, he's raised it to the level of a sacrament, holy matrimony. We saw that marriage was created by God. That means he makes the rules, which also means that no one, and that means no one, can change the nature of marriage or the rules. Not a couple, not the state, not the church, not even the Pope, and certainly not any of these tin-horned judges or perverted politicians we've got plaguing us. No one. We saw that marriage is a contract that results in a relationship. If a man and woman freely make this contract, then God makes the relationship. They consent to be man and wife, and then he takes them at their word and makes them so. We saw that the marriage contract meant that a man and woman give and accept an exclusive and perpetual right for acts which are of themselves suitable for the generation of children. We saw that if this contract is properly made, validly made, then a relationship between the man and woman made by God comes into being. That relationship is known as marriage. We saw that God created marriage with two specific purposes. The primary purpose of marriage is the procreation and the education of children. The secondary purpose of marriage is mutual help and comfort of the spouses and the remedy for concupiscence. So primary, procreation, education of children, secondary, mutual help, and comfort of the spouses, and remedy for concupiscence. 
we saw that acts between spouses are good to the degree that they conform to these two purposes of marriage. The general principle is everything in conformity with these two purposes, the primary and the secondary purposes of marriage, is good and permissible. Anything opposed to them is evil and forbidden. We also saw that each spouse has rights, which means that the other spouse has a corresponding duty to accept a reasonable request. We saw that this is a serious duty owed injustice to the other spouse, that it must be paid generously or it's not being paid. We saw that to refuse to pay the debt without serious reasons is a mortal sin against justice, since it's a violation of the rights of the other spouse, and it's a mortal sin against charity, because frustrating one's closest neighbor can place that spouse in a potentially serious danger of falling from concupiscence. We also reviewed the possible reasons to refuse a debt. We saw it must be refused for lack of privacy, and it may be refused for the following serious reasons. Whether well, one requesting has committed adultery, has not already been forgiven by their partner, when the one requesting is not in their right mind, for example, drunk, when there's a real danger of causing a miscarriage, when there's grave danger of injury, for example, with a deadly disease, for a period of time after birth. And other questions we saw should be referred to the confessional. So much for the review. The Pope says that in the face of distorted notions about marriage, we must clearly preach God's truth. So today, we're going to address a distorted notion which is held by some good Catholics. It's associated with a practice popularly called periodic continence, a practice which involves periodically abstaining from the marital rights. This practice, periodic continence, is also known as natural family planning, or NFP. Now, an example of a distorted understanding of NFP can be found in a recent article entitled Small medium, large, extra large, what size is right for your family? The author, a Mr. Gregory Popchak, who certainly seems to be a devout Catholic, starts by asking, quote, is God calling you to have another child or not? The Church of Wisdom does not give a pat answer to this question, but she does give some very simple, practical advice for couples who are sincerely seeking the Lord's will about all this, and some of her tips may surprise you. Close quote. Well, that's fair enough, but now consider the tip he gives us. Quote, the best way to actively discern this question, now that's the question about whether they should have another child, the best way to actively discern this question on an ongoing basis is to practice NFP. NFP should not be primarily a method of avoiding pregnancy. It should primarily be a discernment tool that encourages the couple to consider their relationship and God's plan for their future throughout the month so that they are always placing God at the heart of the decisions that most deeply impact their marriage. The NFP couple is always open to the possibility that God could say, this is the month, and they are constantly seeking to prepare their hearts and homes for that possibility, however remote it may seem to them at this particular moment. Close quote. What's he saying here? That if a couple is wondering whether God wants them to have another child, the best church-approved method to answer this question is to practice periodic continence, or NFP. 
Well, he did warn us that some of these tips may surprise us. And that tip should surprise us a lot because it's wrong. Let's see why. We'll refer to a recent article in the Vatican newspaper, L'Osservatoire Romano, in order to see what's wrong there. The article is entitled, quote, Serious Motives Justify Couples' Use of Periodic Continence, close quote. Serious Motives Justify the Couples' Use of Periodic Continence. This article cites Popes Pius XII, Paul VI, and John Paul II. Because his answers are so detailed, we'll rely largely on the explanation of Pius XII, because the Pope, in the quoted citations, is not speaking to theologians, but to midwives. And that makes it especially useful, because he's giving a lot more details. Now, before we go through any of this, keep in mind the Pope is not making up any rules. God has not given anyone authority over the nature of marriage or the rules. Not the couple, not judges, not the state, not the church, not even the Holy Father. So what is the Pope doing? The Pope is explaining the rules. He's not legislating. He's explaining. He's explaining how God made things. In fact, everything the Pope says, as we'll see here, can be clearly reasoned out once we know what the marriage contract is and the purpose of marriage. First point, Pope Pius XII, quote, The moral lawfulness of practicing periodic continence should be determined by whether or not the couple's intention is based on sufficient and worthy moral grounds. The mere fact that husband and wife do not offend the nature of the act and are even ready to accept and bring up the child who is born, in spite of precautions they have taken, would not of itself alone be a sufficient guarantee of a right intention and of the unquestionable morality of the motives themselves. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. So the first point is there must be sufficient and worthy reasons to practice periodic continence or NFP. We'll get to those reasons in a moment, but before we do, in the second point, the Pope will explain why this is the case. Second point. Okay, now the Pope explains why there must be sufficient and worthy moral reasons. Notice that the Pope's explanation is based on the marriage contract, which confers rights on a couple, and also on the primary purpose of marriage, which is a corresponding duty of the couple. Pius XII, quote, The marriage contract, which gives the spouses the right to satisfy the inclinations of nature, established them in the married state. The married state, the married couple who use that state, by carrying out its specific act, have the duty imposed by both nature and God of providing for the conservation of the human race. God has so established the order of nature that the existence of the individual and the society, the people and the state, and even the church herself depends upon fruitful marriages. Therefore, to be married and to make frequent use of the right proper and lawful only in the state of marriage, and at the same time to void its primary duty without a grave reason, would be a sin against the very nature of married life. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. What did the Pope just say? That the marriage contract gives spouses the right to the marital act, and the use of that right implies a corresponding duty 
which is to use that great creative power. Why? In order to conserve the human race, which as we've seen, is the primary purpose of marriage. Furthermore, the Pope notes that without serious reasons, it is a sin to frequently exercise this right while deliberately trying to avoid the duty. Okay? We're all familiar with the concept already. It's our duty to go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days obligation. Without serious reasons, if we miss Mass on those same days, it's a sin. If we have serious reasons, there's no sin at all. It's the same concept. The Pope makes this clear. Quote, Pius XII. If there are serious reasons, limiting the act to the infertile periods can be lawful. If, however, in the light of a reasonable and fair judgment, there are no such serious reasons, then the habitual intention to avoid pregnancy will at the same time, as far as is possible, continuing to fully satisfy sensual desires, can only arise from a false appreciation of life and from reasons that have nothing to do with true standards of moral conduct. Close quote, the victor of Christ. When serious reasons are present, periodic continence, or NFP, is lawful. But if there are no serious reasons, then the habitual intention to avoid pregnancy will at the same time, as far as possible, continuing to fully satisfy sensual desires, arises from a false appreciation of life and from false standards of moral conduct. Now we can clearly see the basic problem with Mr. Popchek's reasoning. By promoting the idea that the couple should continually practice periodic continence, NFP, as a means of discerning whether or not to have another child, he's basically completely flipped over the primary and secondary purposes of of marriage. He's arguing as if the primary purpose of marriage is the mutual help and comfort of the spouses and remedy of concupiscence, and as if the secondary purpose of marriage is the procreation and education of children. Third point. Now that the Pope has explained why a couple has to have sufficient worthy reasons to practice NFP or periodic continence, he's now going to explain what those motives are, or reasons. Pius twelfth quote, Serious motives, often put forth on medical, eugenic, economic, and social grounds, can exempt husband and wife from the obligatory positive debt of the procreation of children for a long period or even for the entire duration of the marriage. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. The Pope is pointing out that as long as a serious reason is present, the couple may be legitimately excused from procreation, even for the duration of the marriage. And later he points out the couple may morally do this in one of two ways, periodic continence or total abstinence. Now it's important to realize that the word serious does not mean life-threatening. We need a serious reason, but not a life-threatening reason, to miss Mass on Sundays, and that's the same idea in this case. So what are serious reasons? Let's give some typical examples from the moral theologians. Medical. Serious, real, and objective dangers to physical or even psychological health of one or both partners. Usually it's the woman. Eugenic. A real possibility of serious and incurable hereditary defects in the child. This may last for the duration of the marriage, or it may be for a period of time, for example, when a woman must undergo a medical treatment with certain types of drugs that will certainly cause birth defects. Economic. This refers to true financial hardship. 
In such a profoundly materialistic society like ours, this may require brutal honesty before God. Fifty years ago, Frank Sheed had some thoughtful remarks in this regard. Quote, The reason must be serious. Trifles are not enough. That the birth of other children might mean buying a less expensive car or sending the children to a less fashionable school would not justify the decision to have no more. For that would be making the ornaments of life more valuable than life itself. And not only could no Christian see things so, but only the devitalized could. Indeed, for one who has grasped what a human being is, made in God's image, immortal, redeemed by Christ, only the most serious reason will be strong enough to support such a decision. But where such serious reason exists, the husband and wife may agree to abstain from the marital act for a time or permanently, or they may agree to have it only at times when conception is most unlikely. Close quote. Social grounds. This would include problems in the social order. For example, like the tyrannical Chinese one-child policy or natural disasters like fire, flood, famine, wars, and so forth. So there are many serious medical, eugenic, economic, or social reasons to practice periodic continence. Now, besides a serious reason, there are two other conditions necessary for the lawful practice of periodic continence, or NFP. These are really easy to understand since they flow from the nature of marriage. First, the agreement to practice periodic continence must be truly mutual. It's not unilateral. It must be truly mutual and freely agreed to by both spouses, and all the agreement must be made by both spouses together. It can be terminated by either spouse alone. Although it must be made by both spouses together, it can be terminated by either spouse alone. As the Pope says, quote, This is because the right deriving from marriage the marriage contract is a constant right, uninterrupted and not intermittent, of each of the partners in respect to the other. Close quote. We already saw that when we talked about the marriage debt. Second, there must be reasonable assurance that this practice will not lead either of the spouses to sin. The more probable the danger of serious sin, the more serious the reason must be for practicing periodic continence. Why? Because we're trying to get to heaven. So, in order for periodic continence, or an FP to be legitimate, must be mutually and freely agreed upon by both spouses with a provision that either one can cancel it by making a reasonable request to honor the debt. There must be a reasonable assurance that this practice will not result in serious sin for either party. Let's review. We've seen that if there are serious reasons, a couple may legitimately practice periodic continence. We've seen these serious reasons include serious and objective medical problems of the parent, the real likelihood of serious birth defects in the child, true conditions of financial burden, and disturbances in the social order like war or famine. We've seen that this practice must be mutually and freely agreed to by both spouses with the provision that either spouse can cancel it. We've seen there must be reasonable assurance that this practice will not result in serious sin for either of the spouses. Now that we've taken a quick look at periodic continence, we can clearly see the same theme. It's been running through the whole time. Everything we've said in this matter. The theme is God expects that incredible, marvelous, creative power that he's blessed man and woman with to be used according to the rubrics, not to be played with, misused, or abused. We can see the idea 
that NFP should be constantly used as a means of discerning whether or not you're going to have a child without serious reasons is an abuse. Are we saying that this problem is comparable with the evils of contraception? No, we're not. Direct contraception and direct sterilization are intrinsically evil. Period. Close the book. This isn't. Right. If it isn't intrinsically evil, then are we saying that the pop check error is trivial? No, we're not. Let's be clear. It's like anything. If we use something against the way God set it up, we're going to have problems. If we use NFP without following God's rules, it can very well lead to loss of souls and not just in hell. What do you mean the loss of souls, not just in hell? That's easy to see if we imagine a situation we have someone, say, whose father would be the son of a tenth child. His mother could be the daughter of a tenth child, and he could be the son of a tenth child. Dad would be the son of a tenth child, mom the daughter of a tenth child, he's the son of a tenth child. If any of his immediate ancestors subscribed to Mr. Popchak's theories, this modern reversal of the primary and secondary purposes of marriage it's safe to say, in conditions like that, he wouldn't even exist. In other words, his soul would have been lost in the sense that it would never come into existence. But don't you think that if we asked him, he'd be the first one to tell you how thankful he was to exist, how thankful he was that his ancestors were generous in doing their duty before God, and he's thankful to have a shot at heaven. Don't you think he'd say something like that? We don't have to ask him. He'll just tell you. I'm happy to exist. Let's close with some reflection from Pope Pius XII. Quote, It is urgent to maintain, reawake, and stimulate the sense and the love of the function of motherhood. One of the fundamental demands of the true moral order is that to the use of the marriage rites there corresponds the sincere internal acceptance of the functions and the duties of motherhood. With the exception, acceptance of the functions and the duties of motherhood the woman walks in the path traced out by the Creator towards the goal which he has assigned to her, his creature. He makes her, by the exercise of this function, partaker of his goodness, wisdom, and omnipotence, according to the message of the angel, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. God makes a mother partaker of his goodness, wisdom, and omnipotence. One of the fundamental demands of the true moral order is that to the use of the marriage rites, there corresponds the sincere internal acceptance of the functions and the duties of motherhood. The duties of motherhood, that's what matrimony means. Matrimony comes from the Latin phrase matris munus, which means the duty of motherhood.
It is urgent to maintain, reawake, and stimulate this sense and love of the function of motherhood. Have you ever noticed that during Holy Mass, there's two times that we all genuflate together? During the Creed and during the last Gospel. And why are we genuflecting? Because a woman, the perfect woman, said yes to her duties of motherhood. Pius XII, quote, At the moment she understood the angel's message, the Virgin Mary replied, Be it done unto me according to thy word. A burning yes to the call to motherhood. Close quote. The Blessed Virgin Mary gave a burning yes to the call to motherhood. A burning yes. Let's kneel down and ask our Blessed Mother to reawake and stimulate the sense and love of the function of motherhood both here and throughout the whole world and to grant that more couples will have the grace to say a burning yes to the call to motherhood. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.